You are listening to episode number 235 of the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. Welcome to Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD, where women who are confused and worried about their type 2 diabetes come to learn strategies to fix it. I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. Ladies, if you know you are capable of doing badass things at work and for your family, but you're frustrated with why you can't seem to stop eating the chocolate cake, this podcast is for you. Let's talk. Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have a special episode with a family practitioner who is specializing in sports med and lifestyle medicine. She has come onto the podcast and has agreed to talk with us about what she does and her take on healthy living and how to do that. But before we get started, I want to give you the reminder that I give everybody when I start the podcast. If you are on medications for your type 2 diabetes, please be careful making the changes that are spoken of in this podcast. If you've been medicated, you've been medicated for how you've eaten in the past. And if you change the way you eat, you're going to need to change your medications. So you need to get a clear line of communication open with your primary care provider or the prescribing physician that gave you these meds so that they can adjust those meds appropriately. You need to do that to stay safe. I also want to offer to you, if you haven't already done so, download the 14 Days to Better Blood Sugars Guide. This is a guide. It's very powerful. So again, be very careful if you're on medications, but it is a 14-day guide of menus for you to follow in order for you to see better blood sugars in just two weeks. It's very powerful. You can find that at https colon forward slash forward slash site dot delanemd.com forward slash better blood sugars. So that's site, S-I-T-E dot delanemd dot com forward slash better hyphen blood hyphen sugars. You'll also get on my mailing list for any um, upcoming webinars. There are two webinars scheduled for February. One I will be going over uh, food labeling and the other one I will be going over desires of food. Um, We're hitting that time of year where I think that lots of folks have made a lot of big changes. They've done a lot of the heavy lifting, cleaned up a lot of their diet, and sometimes these desires for food start to seep back in. So learning how to manage those is going to be really effective. Lastly, I do have an ask. If you're finding benefit from this podcast, please like it and rate it on your podcast player. The more ratings and reviews this podcast get, the more people will see the podcast. Share it with your friends who believe will find this helpful. Remember that insulin resistance affects nine out of 10 Americans. So help me get the word out that you don't need to live sick for the rest of your life. It is possible to live healthy. Rating, reviewing the podcast, liking the podcast, and sharing the podcast will help people hear this. All right, let's get started with Dr. Salamos. All right. Well, I would like to welcome Nicole Salamos to the podcast. Nicole is a family practice doctor in New York, right? Yes. Well, I do sports medicine and lifestyle medicine. I don't. That's right. I just know that you and I had similar training, at least (laughs) up to that. So I love, and I love this idea of lifestyle medicine. It's so, um, it's just intriguing and more medicine should be revolving around that if you ask me. Mm -hmm. So Nicole, go ahead and introduce yourself and like, tell everybody what your training is and what your coaching practice is. So I, um, as you said, I trained in family medicine for my residency and then I did a sports medicine fellowship. So I um, I am non-surgical sports medicine, primary care sports medicine um, by trade. Um, and I work in an orthopedic setting. I've always worked in an orthopedic setting since graduating fellowship. Um, and I also have 
my board certification in lifestyle medicine. Um, and so I have started to incorporate that into my practice as well. Seeing musculoskeletal um, complaints oftentimes can lead to really lively discussions and um, even exercise prescriptions and talking about nutrition and talking about eating whole foods and um, getting social interaction, you know, so it's been a nice, I would say, um, mingling, intermingling of, of specialties. Um, and I'm only just beginning to develop that, I believe. And, and in coaching, I really am, um, focusing on midlife women and beyond. Um, and, uh, just having focus around, um, feeling better in their body and to be even more focused than that. I am focusing on muscle and, um, building if, if you're still at a stage where you can build maintaining, starting where you are and trying to, um, slow the loss of muscle. So I am highly interested in, um, in women and their muscle mass too. So, uh, so that's really yeah. interesting to me on a personal level. I just want to hear what would be your biggest recommendation kind of overlapping that muscle component, both um, building and maintaining, of course. And then also, I feel like the older, you know, I turned 49 this weekend and the more birthdays I get under my belt, the more I notice the soreness in my muscles feel differently and the soreness is just different than what it was. So I guess not just for building and maintaining, but also for that part where we're, there is some discomfort in exercise and in the building of muscles. What are you seeing as far as lifestyle crossing over? Like what's the biggest thing that we as humans are doing that kind of get in the way of that for us? Yeah, I think we're just not focusing enough on on our muscle. Uh, mm. You know, listen, I'm, I'm 49 too, so <laughs> I'm older than you. Um, but- so like we grew up in the same age, right? And um, I was an athlete and yet, so I was an athlete and after organized sports were done, which really has never been for me because I still play organized soccer. Um, I love that. Organized pickup, whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? But sport, mm-hmm. even when, like, let's say when I finished college, well, I still played soccer, but I became that really cardio focused, you know, because when you're not doing the college sport or the organized sport, whatever, at whatever level, you're not practicing every day. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, so, so what, what I'm saying is that for people that haven't been involved in organized sport, so I become one of those people when I stop, you know, when I graduate college. And so my focus for many, many years was more cardio than strength, right? Yes, yes. I mean, I think I'm blessed. Everybody's different. And I think we have to realize that. But I think I was particularly, you know, blessed by the fact that I I had pretty good muscle tone as in my youth. And so did I do some strength training? I did. Um, I especially remember uh, being in medical school and and doing, you know, doing some strength training. I wish I had done more, to be honest, mm-hmm. now that I'm older. Um, but I had really good muscle tone. Um, so 
having a good base has been really, has been helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to answer your question, to get back to answering your question, I think that's where people our age, a little bit younger than us, I would say, even the people that are in their thirties, us, and then people older than us, just, we didn't have the knowledge. We didn't realize how important strength was. Um, We used cardio as a way to manage our weight. You know, there was a, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was a focus on thinness for us rather than health, (laughs) health and body composition. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even for, I mean, I, I would say even for people that know, like, you know, I mean, I'm in organized sport. I, I know it's important to be strong, right. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to, so, um, so yeah, I think that's where, um, where we've learned and and this is where we're going to go, you know, from now. Do you feel like if, um, and this kind of, you know, we had about this discussion about body composition and strength training and exercise in middle age. Do you think that women like those of us, you know, raised seventies children of the seventies and even earlier because the women that were born in the sixties and the fifties were exposed to the same fat phobic eighties and nineties that all of us were. Um, and we were focused. I mean, it was all the, uh, sweating with the oldies. It was, um, Jane Fonda. It was aerobics. It was all of that. Mm -hmm. And it was very cardio heavy. What do you, is there a way, can you regain the lost muscle the loss of muscle um, gaining or the loss of muscle building really in those younger years, can you gain that back or can you make up for that loss? You can make up for it. I do believe that. Um, Unfortunately, as women, I mean, not unfortunately, I don't want to use any negative connotation, but okay. When we hit perimenopause, a lot of stuff starts changing, you know, with our Mm -hmm. hormones and we, the only way we realize it and we still may not realize it and i'm included in this group is that um we start feeling different and just like you explained like yeah it's very different the way i feel mm-hmm. um when i play soccer or when i work out or whatever as opposed to when i was in my 20s and 30s right so um so can we regain it? It's hard as women when we start losing our estrogen. Mm-hmm. I think we're more focused on, you know, trying to maintain. Do I believe that there's some building that can be done? I do. Um, I think, though, it's more about the recomp from, you know, maybe the body fat percentage as opposed to lean mass. Right. So just like when we talk about, um, food, I don't know if you've heard of this concept, but you kind of crowd out the less nutrient dense food, more greens on your plate. Right. So I think 
that's kind of the way you can think of your body as you mm. get older as women when we lose our estrogen because as soon as you start losing your estrogen we're losing we could be if we're not um cognizant um one percent lean body mass uh, uh per year we can lose ten mm-hmm. percent per decade like and you lose strength even faster than that so you know hmm. strength you know and you know there are some simple ways that you can gauge it but uh like can you open a a, a can you know as opposed to 10 years before that, you know, are you losing that? And that's, that's a pretty easy way to gauge. If you start going to your, your, your significant others or, you know, whoever to open a jar instead of opening it yourself when you could before, like, you know, so, um, but building is tough when we get, um, into perimenopause. So do you feel like when we get into that perimenopausal year years that we need to be kind of that crowding component, right? Like not yeah. crowding out our muscle work with cardio work, but really right. starting to, um, cause even insulin resistance, um, I just heard science behind this muscle composition is far more effective on reversing insulin resistance Very, than cardio yes. is. Yeah. And that's the whole reason, like we're going to get into the sugar, but yeah. That's where you're, you're, that's where you're going to um, fight the insulin resistance is with muscle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yes. huge point. And yeah. so, and that's the reason, right? So we may not end up with bulky muscles, which mm-hmm. some of us want. Like I, I like muscle, right? But some of us don't. And, and I don't think you have to worry about that. You know, if, if you haven't started there, then mm-hmm. I, you're going to become like, you're not going to have bulging bulky muscles but but you are going to um you know increase your insulin receptors on on your muscle on your lean mass you're going to have a greater percent lean mass compared to your fat mass right Mm -hmm. and um so that's where it's going to change and that's where you're going to really have so many benefits because insulin resistance is I mean, I don't think it's just a thought in my head. It's, it's, it's the key. It's, it's what starts going wrong. Right. Yeah. I think they're starting to realize that it's really the, I always teach insulin resistance. Like it's the trunk of a tree and all the diseases are just the branches off of that trunk. Um, so absolutely. So what is the biggest tip that you give women, the women you work with that age group for, that recomposition, like what are the, I guess, what are the steps that you would give them to getting to that? Yeah. I think to be very basic about it, resistance train two to three times a week, if not more, I I don't think, I don't think four times a week is a bad thing. Do Um, you mean resistance train full body or do you mean doing four times a week, different muscle groups? Yeah. Uh, I would say, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I would say either. I mean, because you might be talking about somebody who hasn't done any, right? So right. you have to start where you are. And again, okay. when I say resistance training, I don't mean that you have to lift heavy weights. I think it's beneficial if you can with okay. good form and everything. You know, I think it's something to look forward to if if you choose, but you start with body weight, you start with modifying and you start where you are and you start yeah. the amount of time that you can do. Um, keeping in mind that you don't have to like it. 
you just have to like the result. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That so resistance training. And I think it's pretty clear that we, um, we should be, uh, very, um, that we should increase our protein and really, um, be careful about getting a lot of protein. Um, I think that the recommended daily allowance is most likely too low. Mm -hmm. Get more. I don't want to, um, you know, I mean, I'm not a researcher, but it looks like a gram per pound or maybe a little bit less of ideal body weight, by the way, um, <laughs> ideal body weight, you yeah. know, I mean, it's hard to get that right. Sure. Um, I struggle to get that every day. I, I struggle big time and I don't really feel very well when I'm pushing that much protein. I feel over full. It's just really unpleasant. We talk about that a lot in my group about, because I always tell them you should be shooting for at least a gram per pound of body weight. Like that's mm-hmm. what you should really be shooting for. And some studies even show up to like two grams, which seems ridiculous. I know. And I've had some pushback when I posted that. On, uh, oh yeah. 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 Know. The nephrologists get really excited. Well, two grams. <laughs> I never, I, I said a gram per pound, you know, people will argue with that, but yeah, um, I mean, and then the plant versus animal protein. Sure. Another argument. I mean, I don't want to argue with anybody. I just think you should try to, the um, fact is we clearly need more. Yeah. <laughs> you can split and, hairs over one or right. two or an or ma- animal or plant, but we need more. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there are plenty of people that are plant-based that are, that have doing great. Good yeah. muscles, right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think those are the two things that I, I'm hitting hard with, um, midlife and beyond females is, and, and like I said, if you're in your seventies or eighties, it's not too late. Oh, it's I love not that. too late because, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you're well past menopause, but you're well into menopause, I should say. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's more, and even beyond the metabolic health that we're, that we're talking about, it's also the way you feel, right? It's mm-hmm. self-efficacy. I think that's huge. Yes. You know, I have a course that, and I have many videos where I teach people exercises that they can do to increase leg strength, uh, to get up from the floor, yeah. you know, to be able mm-hmm. to pick up a grandchild, to be able to, uh, step off of a curb without falling and breaking your hip, which is, um, a big deal. Really not yeah. an injury that anybody should have at that age, right? Yeah. It's really can lead to um, a downward spiral pretty quickly. So, you know, it's not, you know, I think the metabolic part of it is very important, even mm-hmm. in your 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's super important as well, but it's also the self-efficacy and, and the way you'll feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's so spot on. That's so spot on. So the two big things for that kind of strength training and muscle recomposition or body recomposition is really, we should be doing muscle or weight work three, at least times a a week. And then we really need to give our body the building blocks in the form of one gram, at least per body or per pound of body weight for protein. Right. Yeah. It would be nice. You know, some people say, you know, pointy, listen, as long as you increase it, you're feeling well. I think that there are ways that we can monitor that. 
they're not very cost effective at this point I, from <laughs> what I see. Um, so I don't want to just like make a blanket statement that everybody should have um, a uh, glucometer, you know, like a continuous yeah. glucose monitor or, you know, there are other things, you know, you can measure, um, but they may, you know, not, I don't think everybody can access them easily. So um yeah. And you know what, in the end, like the monitoring, at least in my mindset, the monitoring is not as important as the doing of the thing right. that is healthy. Right. Like right. I always tell my clients, cause they'll be like, Oh, my blood sugar didn't follow. And I ate so clean and so few carbs and yada, yada. And I'm like, well, you, that's the healthy part thing. That's the healthy thing in life. It's not the blood sugar that follows that will eventually catch up. The healthy yeah. thing is that we ate carrots and chicken and not pop tarts. So right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, and that I would say I probably left out one of the other like generalities that I really uh, promote to my clients and patients is really not to eat processed food as much yeah. as, you know, um, yeah, enjoy life. But, in, but, and I try to teach people how they can enjoy eating and being with others without processed food. So, yeah. And that is a great lead in because I do want to talk about sugar. I know we kind of touched base on autoimmunity and if we have time, we can dive into that. If not, we can have you back on the podcast and we can dive into that. But I want to talk about sugar because I think you have some really interesting information that I at least had never heard of as far as the history of sugar. But I also think that you, um, and I agree, like, and I don't mean to sound super hyperbolic, but I'm like, processed foods, that food will kill you. That food will make you sick. And I do yeah. absolutely believe that. Um, I know it's a pretty polarizing thought because there is this significant uh, mantra amongst the diet mentality that is a little bit's okay. Some of it's okay. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know that any of it's okay. It'll kill right. you. But um, so let's talk about the history of sugar. And then I do want to talk about like the three negative impacts that you see on human beings when they're consuming sugar and processed foods. Really, let's processed sugars. I'm not talking about apples and oranges. I'm talking about Pop-Tarts. Right. Yeah. So you want to know about the history, right? You want mm -hmm. to know about the history. So yeah, I have a um a whole module on the history of sugar. And um so sugar originally it came from two sources, you know, way back, sugarcane and um the sugar beet, right? Mm -hmm. So um when it was first discovered and like so I'm sure you know this and, and a lot of people probably do. I don't. But, okay. But, um, well, you do know that it, that sugar, when we ingest it. Sure. Causes a dopamine rush, right? Yeah. Just like binds the mu opioid receptor. And yeah. yeah. Just like yeah. drugs, just like sex, just like anything that we enjoy. Right. Mm -hmm. It works on the dopamine reward system. So when sugar was first discovered, um, from the sugar beet, from the uh, sugar cane, it was used medicinally as mm -hmm. well as uh, recreationally, like a drug for a high. So, um, and I, I guess it was introduced into food as well, but, you know, they were using it that way more than in food, right? So it was- yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't a food additive. It was a right, fun. Right. And then it became 
um, what it is today uh, over time. So um, what else do I want to, oh, so, okay. So that was, you know, the, the origins of sugar way back when, right? And so, but in our, in North America, and specifically in the United States, what, what I can tell you is that in the 60s was the first time that anybody said anything about maybe sugar wasn't good for us, you know, or mm-hmm. um, that it may contribute to weight gain and, uh, and, and some diseases like diabetes. Um, and then again in the 80s, oh, well, you remember. So we had our fat free craze, right? Fat free. And then gosh, maybe sugar free too. make it all take it down. Right. (laughs) But fat free. And, and there was actually a statement that was put out that said, uh, that fat was more dangerous or uh, that it was, had more of a negative impact on our health than sugar. Yeah, absolutely. Fat was absolutely demonized in this yes. country in the I 80s. I mean, I absolutely. remember eating fat-free everything, everything. Yeah, it was I fine was... that I ate a box of fudge sickles yes. because they were fat-free, so it yes. was fine. It yeah. was all right, right? And mm-hmm. I think you and I were the same age, so um, so like we said before, thinness was really like the... The cave mosses, yes, yes, right. yes, absolutely. And so, we didn't, I, I don't know about you, but I, like I told you, I was an athlete and everything. I didn't see any change in my, like, I wasn't gaining weight or anything, but, you know, here is a, a perfect example of, of, okay, we didn't, I didn't see it um, morphologically in my body, but it just wasn't good, right? I mean, well, I can remember in college having episodes of hypoglycemia. So I know looking back at that, that was insulin resistance that was happening in my body. It was not like, I, I mean, and of course I can even remember like, oh, hypoglycemia, like I'm so far away from being diabetic. And looking back, it was like, no, right. I was a lot closer to being diabetic. Yeah. I mean, I remember really having serious energy crashes. I mean, I, I remember it more in college. Yes, I do too. Um, like I couldn't keep my eyes open and I really do think that it was probably, probably had a lot to do with that. Right. Yeah. Um, and in high school, I definitely had a lot of stomach upset, you know, and Mm -hmm. things like that. So I think, um, it was affecting us. The fat free thing for me wasn't until college, But, um, so I think it was affecting us, maybe not morphologically because of our youth, but yeah, um, yeah, health. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So anyway, so that was the eighties we had. Um, and I totally remember, I don't know if you do, um, you probably do, but the food guide pyramid that we had. Yes. Right. And so what was at the base of that food guide pyramid? The base was grains. Yeah. Breads six and grains. To 11, yeah. Six to 11 servings a day. It's and no they wonder were we all about, got diabetic. Right. They were talking about bread, cereal, bread. I mean, what? So, and they weren't saying, oh, don't eat the sugary cereals or anything. You know, no, that's what it no, was. No, they're fortified. Right. Yeah. 
So it was a mess. That was the base of the food guide pyramid. So, okay. So that's the eighties now. And, um, a lot of the artificial sweeteners came about, you know, as well. So that was a super bad combination. So, so artificial sweeteners, we know now, um, really affect our gut. Sugar does Mm -hmm. too, in a, in a negative way, you know, it can really decrease that diversity of the the gut microbiome. Yeah. So like, you know, this was all happening. And then in the early 2000s, it did start to shift back to more like of the, the natural, real sugar, um, honey, agave, nectar, you know, things like that. So, and now we have in place of the food guide pyramid, we have my plate. So my sure. plate is a picture of a plate and, and it shows you how to divide the plate um, and it doesn't, and half of the plate is green leafy vegetables. So again, that's a, that's an example of crowding out. Um, sure. so anyway, so we've made progress, um, people like you and I, and there are many people that are, that are really bringing this to the forefront. So I think, you know, progress is being made. Um, and, and it's really, um, Another thing that I wanted to mention was back in the 60s, along mm. with the food guide pyramid and, you know, some of the things that we've talked about was the fact that there were 10 major um, food companies, food, um, yeah. in North America that still own almost everything, you mm-hmm. know, put a lot of commercials out there have a lot of money own the produce even bottled water you know yes yeah they own everything and um and all profit based and had influence on that food guide pyramid so yeah yeah they were the ones making the guidelines or at least influencing the guidelines and all they wanted to do is sell pepsi and nabisco crackers so and And kellogg's cereal and general mills you know all of them yeah absolutely so can we say you know i hate to have that like victim mentality but we just didn't know better and if you no, weren't we didn't know better, diving of course. deep, if you weren't diving yeah. deep, which I'll tell you, I wasn't right in my twenties, um, we just we believed it. Okay, absolutely, so. absolutely, it was what was told to us, and I do think that it influenced even scientific studies. I mean, the Ansel Keys studies are a great example. I mean, he suppressed evidence, and every, I mean, like that wasn't released until a few years ago, until like the last decade. Right. Some of that evidence and some of his studies that he came to the conclusion pointed at fat, where the studies actually supported it was sugar that was more inflammatory towards heart disease. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, and so I've gotten to this point. You're like, and my brain's like, I'm trying not to be a conspiracy theorist. Same, same. But I mean, there's definitely like, I, you know, some of this evidence, some of the stuff that's put out, even in quote unquote scientific literature, you really have to scrutinize it closely. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, and it, it's difficult for me and, and I'm 
I'm a trained physician, you know, and so- right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you have a strategy, like you have a process that you teach about how to not eat sugar. You mm-hmm. have an approach. I want to hear yeah. about that. Yeah. So I have a course. It's a, it's a five-step course. And the first module, we kind of just went over about the history of sugar. And then I have a module about um, how to shop in the, mm. uh, in the grocery store for foods that don't contain added sugar. That's what I'm talking about. Like you said previously, I'm not talking about eating an orange or a banana. I mean, I do talk about that a little bit. But I'm, t- I, you know, the focus is the processed sugar and the added sugar, right? So I teach, mm-hmm. I teach um, people how to shop in the grocery store. I teach, you know, people uh, what to look for on a menu when they go out to eat. Mm. Um, I also teach um, what foods, what whole foods we can use to substitute to make our food, um, you know, sweeter. You're right. Yeah. Um, If you want to enjoy brownies um, or, you know, I I give a lot of example, you know, recipes for things that um, don't contain added sugar. I I mean, and as you know, there are many things like even salad dressings. I have a recipe for a Greek salad dressing that has lemon and, you know, so you don't need sugar in that. And, um, so simple things like that down to making brownies or pancakes or whatever it is without having added sugar or flour. When I say processed sugar, I, I mean processed flour as well. I love that you mean processed flour too. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the same. It, it, very Biochemically, processed. it's the same. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then I also, um, I talk a lot and, and my favorite part of my whole course is the module where I talk about the brain and, um, I've touched on it with you, uh, just the dopamine reward system and that we can teach, we can learn, we can form new neural pathways. It's that neuroplasticity and it's quick. It can be in three days that your taste can change if you really do um, if you really, really can avoid the processed sugar and then you form those new neural pathways, you have, you know, and there are so many coaching philosophies in there and just neuroscience philosophies where, and not, it's not a philosophy. It's, 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 um, a tool, you know, to learn how to sit with discomfort so that you can overcome a craving, right? So cravings are a big part of, sugar and anything that, that activates the dopamine reward system. So I love that module and everybody can tell because I (laughs) am so into it. And, um, and I even love talking about it because the brain is just where it's at. And, and, and the fact that we can, um, we just have to make a decision to do it and we can do it and we can overcome it if we, if we choose to, you know, these are all choices and, you know, and learning how to, I think the most exciting thing for me is to, to be able to have somebody make the realization that they can do it. You know, they can sit with that hunger or that anger or whatever emotion it is that's 
um, triggering them to to want to reach for um, a processed sugary thing, right? Yeah. And and to be able to realize that it can be relatively easy to have a whole day and then build on that without having processed sugar involved in, in what they're consuming. It's yeah. Exciting. And I think, I think that's so huge because so many times this drive, this craving, this urge, this desire, it feels out of us. It feels like something we like there's some alien force acting on us. And when we can break it down and show clients that actually this is just neurochemistry, it like, it, I, I call it seeing the wizard behind the curtain, being a Kansas kid. That's what, you know, the wizard behind the curtain. It's really hard to be afraid of the hologram on the, on the wall anymore when you just know it's a man behind the curtain, right? And right. then from that space, it's so liberating. And it is, it's powerful to be a part of and it's powerful to watch in somebody else's life. It is really amazing, so. It really is. And and um, it I've seen it, you know, I think it's easier for, it might be easier for somebody to understand that has some type of scientific background and, and just be like, oh, wait, hold on. This is just, you know, neurochemicals and I can change this. So, um, but I've used it, I, I, you know, to, in other areas, like to abstain from alcohol too. Like I, yeah. like, I don't need it. I just made a decision like, you know, and, and I don't judge people. I'm just saying like it once you realize sometimes just the education yeah. can, can turn that switch. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have covered a lot today and I really am super appreciative of you coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge base because it, like you're teaching me things you're teaching the audience things. I have one question for you that I like to ask anybody who comes on the podcast as an expert that comes on the podcast and shares information. What do you feel like is the most important thing? If there was one thing a human could do to improve their health, what would that one thing that you would tell them that would give them the most bang for their buck be? I mean, I think we've been talking about it for, for half an hour now. <laughs> I, <laughs> Honestly, I've changed my life by not eating processed sugar. I'll say sugar, meaning flour as well. So I don't know that I can prioritize it over the strength, but I think that's where it starts for some people is, is like, you know, I had some autoimmune diseases. I guess I should say I still have them, but I don't have any symptoms of them. And that I love that was a huge change for me when I stopped eating processed sugar. I think that's it. Yeah, I do too. And I agree. Like there is the exercise components as human animals. We are meant to be out and about and moving our bodies, but there's no amount of movement or exercise that undoes a pop tart or erases it. So I'm always like that part still has to go. So I agree. I mean, I always think that that's the biggest thing too, but I like to hear other people's input and, and I appreciate that. So, I mean, exercise for me is right up there. Yes. Uh, as you know, I'm certainly, you know, the resistance it's, it's right up there, but I changed my life. I already, I kind of already had that. So the show yeah. is huge. So. Yeah. yeah. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to hear more about your programs and hear about more about your coaching? 
Well, on LinkedIn, I'm there as Food Fit Doc. I have a website, um, beforesunrisecoaching.com. Mm. And um, and that's how you can get in touch with me. I love it. I love it. Anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I, I, I'm just so happy that you had me on. This was really fun. I'm honored to be on the podcast and, um, and, uh, and you're doing great things. Oh, well, thank you. The feeling is very mutual. I appreciate that. We're going to sign off. I'll be back next week with another podcast. Talk to you then.